So glad you're here. It's Christmas season. Would you stand with me today? And let's go to the Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, let's go to John chapter 1. We'll use kind of the spot we landed last week as a launching pad for this week. And so John chapter 1, we're going to read the first five verses of the chapter. Thanks for being here today. It's always a great day to get to fellowship with you and to get to hang out. And, and uh, thank you to all of those that caught video announcements this morning prior to service in our pre-service time. Thanks to all of you who have already given Starbucks gift cards for our staff to drink coffee. I mean, we say thank you, so thank you very much for that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. Can everybody say life? In Him was life, and life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Lord, we thank You for these moments together around Your Word. I just pray in these moments that, Lord, I could make much of You. And that in these moments, Lord, we will continue to reflect on the true meaning of this Christmas season. I pray today, Lord, that someone will see more than they've seen, understand more than they've understood, be reminded of what all you've done for them. I pray today, O oh God, for every need that's represented in this church community. Uh, I, I'm well aware that, that not everyone is, is full of joy this season, or, or maybe they're dealing with some things that are distracting or are uh, burdensome in the midst of all the festivities. And so I just pray that you'd meet needs today, that you'd comfort today, uh, that you would do some incredible things in these moments in our hearts. We give you this time. I pray, God, that our ears would be attentive to what you would say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you be seated today and let's celebrate the season by turning to our neighbor and telling them Merry Christmas. There's a key phrase in verse 4 of John chapter 1. In him, talking about Jesus, in him was life. Now, if you were here last week, you know that I shared in the Gospel of John, the word life is used 36 different times. That doesn't even count 1 John or the book of Revelation written by the same author, John. But in the Gospel of John alone, the word life is used 36 different times. We hear phrases that describe Jesus throughout the Gospel. Bread of life, water of life, giver of life, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, verse 10, easy way to remember it, right? John 10, 10, that the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. That there is in reality an enemy that is out to keep you off of God's path for your life and to keep you ultimately out of eternal life that God has for you. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it either more abundantly or to the full. So in that way, Jesus promised his, his gift, his reason for coming and being was life. In John 10 verse 28, a few verses later, he said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. In John 17 verse 3, the Bible says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you... 
talking about God, that they know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is life. This is eternal life, that they know you. When we talk about life in the Gospel of John, there's really two parts to it. The first part of life in the Gospel of John is now, in the present. When we recognize our sinfulness and we recognize our need for Jesus, we hear the gospel and we respond to that and make our decision to follow him, we are granted new life. The Bible describes this as old things passing away and all things becoming new. Our heart is changed inwardly. No longer do we want to live in our own way or in sinful ways or in the ways of the world around us. We then have a desire to follow Jesus, to honor Him, to be like Him. We no longer crave the same things of the world around us, but we crave what pleases God and how we can honor Him and what He has for our lives. So life, when we talk about life the way Jesus is describing it and who he is, we're talking about in the present. We get to live as children of God, adopted into his family, and experiencing all the benefits of that adoption. If you're even familiar with the natural process of adoption, when a family decides to adopt someone into their family. They are legally given the blessings of being a part of that family. Their their name is changed. They are able to inherit from their family. The same is true in life in Christ and life with God. We are given a new name, a new identity, a new way of life, and we become heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. We inherit, we bring about in our lives through God, through Jesus, the work of His, li- of His life in us. But it's also not only in the present, it's also life not yet. It's a future hope, it's a confidence, it's an assurance of the future of what is to come. We're promised the wonderful opportunity to live with God for eternity. Always. With God, no separation in perfection. In fact, Scripture would teach us that there will come a day when this old heaven and old earth will pass away and there will be a new heaven and new earth unstained by sin, unmarred by the issues of human sinful nature and sinful world that we live in. There's a wonderful opportunity that we get to have eternal life with God forever. In all of this in the Gospel of John, we understand life is actually a gift of God, the gift of God to our lives. And we needed that life. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And a few verses later he said, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. To make the journey to Christmas, to understand the issue and the matter we're discussing of life and death and death and life, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Most of you are probably familiar with Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And last week, we learned from our text in John 1 that Jesus was with God at creation. So he is eternal. He also has always existed and always will exist outside of any control of any other power. Jesus was God and Jesus was actively involved in creation. 
Now you probably know the story that at this point in creation, God formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed life into him, a human being made and placed in the Garden of Eden. And if you read about it, this was a pretty good setup. I mean, you really, you really can't even hardly imagine what was happening in this moment in our world today. Everything that God had made was good, and that doesn't just mean what he did was good. It means it was perfect and pure and without the stain of sin. Man was given the authority over creation. Even if you go back and read, man was given the opportunity to name all of the animals. And all of this was theirs with only one instruction. There were many trees throughout the Garden of Eden, including the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says in Genesis 2 that God gave one instruction. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. Life and death. From Adam was made Eve, and at this point in creation, there was no sin, no shame, no guilt, no problems, ultimately no consequence of sin as death. The communication and the relationship with God was without hindrance. There was no barrier, no block. They would walk together in the garden. Go back and read for yourself. And each of these human beings shared in the likeness of God. We read in the creation account that God said, Let us, presence of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. So they were made in the image of God with the morality, the intellect, the, the, the physical well-being, the, the physical shape and makeup of them. They were made in the image of God. Everything was good. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see the arrival of one simply known as the serpent. Now later, we're going to find in Scripture that obviously this serpent is identified or recognized as Satan or the devil. And if you don't know the story of how we got here, Satan, or otherwise known as Lucifer, was one of the highest ranking angels in heaven created by God. He made a decision to rebel, wanting to be God, took a third of the angels with him, this is all from scripture, took a third of the angels with him, and now there is involved in our world today a, a demonic agenda, demonic powers. Uh, we can even say that this is that, that root of what we would refer to as demons. At minimum, what we know in Genesis chapter 3 is that Satan took control of the serpent to influence Adam and Eve and their decision making. Now I want you to notice the serpent's question because I believe this is very, very important. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? A few verses later, we read that the serpent said, you will not surely die. So not only did he try to create doubt or twist the word of God, but then he lied about it as well. And then the verse later, ultimately, it's not that God is not wanting you to do this, it's that he knows you'll be like him. From the beginning of time, the enemy of your soul has wanted you to question, to doubt, and to not believe God and his word. If he can help you question it, he can get you to reject it. And if he can get you to reject the word of truth of God, then he will get you to a place where you will not live by it. 
And what we're seeing play out in our world, even today, right now, is this same agenda from the enemy that has always been happening. He is a, he is, his attack is on the truth of God. Right now, there is, has been much attack made about the legitimacy and the inerrancy and the relevance of God and His Word. And the enemy knows if he can help create doubt, if he can bring doubt to what you believe, that you will reject it and ultimately not live by it. And many people today have rejected. We, we sometimes think in ourselves, how in the world do we get to a place where God's Word is not held in the level of honor that it should be? Well, the enemy's been at work all along. Deception, lies, and trying to twist the truth. The temptation of Lucifer when he was in heaven is the same as humanity. To be God of our own lives. The pride that is in humanity. Wanting to go one's own way. It was ultimately the rejection of God's word for the sake of one's own opinion. The reality is people want to set their own standard of life. That's how we landed in a time of my truth versus the truth. God is still the ultimate way. God is still the judge of right and wrong. He's still the author of truth. He's still the truth. He's still the one we must follow in order to know life. Now, you're probably familiar with the narrative. In Genesis chapter 3, the humans, Eve initially and, and with the agreement of Adam, who had received the instruction from God, they bought into the lies of the serpent. They gave into this attack on truth. The Bible says that Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. Now, we've always made this out to be an apple. I don't think the Scripture actually tells us that, but some sort of fruit. If you know Pastor Matt, you know he would have never been tempted by this fruit problem. <laughs> Several of you clearly know. Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. She ate. She gave some to Adam. He ate as well. And the Bible teaches us the history records that everything changed. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says that their eyes, Adam and Eve's eyes, were opened. They could already see. They'd already been created. This is not a statement about their physical ability. This is a statement about something shifting in their morality, in their intellect, in who they were in their heart. God's life that was in them died. We, we came to that place as a human race of moral death and they became filled with a sinful nature. They became impure and contrary to the nature of God. The relationship that was unbroken with God that was so perfect and great was destroyed. And rather than Scripture teaching that they were naked and unashamed and unafraid, notice they were then filled with guilt and tried to hide from God in fear of judgment. Everything changed. And since that moment in history, every person born into the world is born with this desire and pull towards sin and towards pleasing one's own self without any regard for God and His Word or even for others. There's proof. If you're a parent in the room or online, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's proof from a young age that the sinful nature is present in human beings. Our youngest is one one, we're not even forming complete sentences yet, but she knows how to say no. It's her favorite word. She knows how to scream or fake cry when her sisters do something to her that she doesn't like. She knows how to push people off of her. 
Very early on, if sisters take something that she wants, she knows how to get upset and to wonder, why are you messing with me right now? It doesn't take many years for the sinful nature of human beings, for the issues of the heart to begin to show. Humanity, as God intended it in Genesis 3, spiritually died. They were living in sin and would face physical death. Think about this. Originally, physical death wasn't part of the, wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't part of perfection. But physical death came as a result of sin. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages or the consequences of sin is death. Death. We deal with the issue of life and death because at this point, humanity needed life. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see that God the Father had a plan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the revelation of God that he already had a plan. This is the initial promise way back when. The initial promise of God being made known to humanity. Evil was going to be defeated. You'll strike his heel, but he will crush your head. The Messiah would be born of a woman and struck with an undeserving death on the cross. But Jesus would go on to rise from the dead... Sin and death would be defeated for anyone who would believe in Jesus and right relationship between God and humanity could be restored. I would pause for a moment just to remind us that God always has a plan. God always has a plan. In this moment, we see that God already had a plan. God had the foreknowledge and the foresight to know that humanity wouldn't obey. That he knew his creation, the perfect relationship between he and creation would be broken. Jesus had always been the plan. Even before the creation of the world as we know it, the Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain. Meaning, even before the world began, God already knew and Jesus was the plan to bring about salvation. Now stay with me because I'm going to take you through centuries of history in just a matter of moments. From the initial promise of God in Genesis chapter 3 given to humanity. God continued for centuries to point towards a Messiah, the Messiah, coming to resolve the issue of sin and death in humanity and coming to bring a bridge between the, in the fractured relationship between humanity and God. The Old Testament, some people consider outdated, some people consider it not worth reading, but actually the Old Testament is full of examples that indicated life was the greatest need of mankind. Humanity on its best day couldn't match up to the perfect standard of God. Humanity needed a new heart, a heart inclined towards God rather than being inclined towards sin. It's interesting to me. That when you read through the Bible, you're reading of actual historical accounts. Real people, real places, real moments in history, specific detail to specific details. 66 different books or portions that we categorize in our Bible. And the scriptures being authored and inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned through multiple people through centuries. For instance, even the book of Psalms is written by multiple writers. And some books are written by writers that to this day, we're not exactly sure who wrote them. But what we do know is that the Holy Spirit inspired all of these writers through centuries to write all the Bible 
And there are congruent themes throughout all of it. We often read, rightly so, about the historical accounts and the people in the Bible and the different uh, ways that the Scripture applies to our lives. But you've got to remember, over the course of centuries and numerous writers who pen these words, there is an overarching theme. There are overarching arcs, if you will, over what's coming together in the Scripture. And here are some of those themes. First of all, it's the theme of relationship. You can't read Scripture without seeing that God the Creator wanted relationship with every member of humanity. That God would go to great lengths to try to get people's attention, to give people opportunity to respond. He would show His care and His mercy and His grace. Even in the Old Testament, long before Jesus died on the cross, the Bible records that God is compassionate and patient, and long-suffering, and wanting to give people an opportunity to respond. No matter where you're at in the Bible journey, no matter what you think about Scripture, there has to be some concession or recognition that God wants, when you read Scripture, God wants to interact with people, and God wants to act on behalf of people, and God wants to lead people. It's all throughout Scripture. Secondly is the theme of redemption. God created mankind in His image and wanted to save humanity from sin so that humanity could live in the way He intended. Thirdly is the theme of reconciliation. God wanted to be reunited with humanity without any gap in between the two. And last, restoration. God wanted everything and everyone to live in His original intent. And that's not just at the moment of being saved or following Jesus. There's evidence that at the end of time, there is going to be a restoration with a new heavens and a new earth, as I said earlier, not stained with sin. Throughout the pages and narrative of the Old Testament, God pointed to His answer to do all of this, to provide life to humanity. I love that that I can trust in my life that God not only has a plan always, but that God specializes in the details. Very specific, very detailed. For instance, throughout the Old Testament, there's a lot of things that took place that foreshadowed what was to come, that pointed to what was to come. There were a lot of types and symbols. God would raise up people in the Old Testament to be deliverers and rescuers. People like Moses we've talked about. People like Joshua. All of these different, different characters pointing to God, raising them up and giving them to lead the people. And all of these promises of God filling the pages of history, pointing to a different future. One for humanity that would not be filled with death, but one of life. All throughout the Old Testament, there are numerous examples that pointed to the Messiah, Jesus. We read earlier in Genesis, the, the seed of a woman. In Exodus that we've studied recently, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, the book that you think is hard to read and that you give up on every year when you start a new Bible reading plan. In Leviticus, he's known as the high priest. In Ruth, the redeemer. In the Psalms, the shepherd. In Isaiah, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. In Micah, the ruler out of Bethlehem. In Zephaniah, the Lord mighty to save. Over and over and over, and if that wasn't enough, through people and prophets, God foretold of Jesus and details surrounding His life and His sacrifice and His resurrection. I want you to think about this. Think about how detail-oriented God really is. 
In Psalm 22, you read some of the, the exact words, centuries earlier, you read some of the exact words in Psalm 22 that Jesus would say from the cross. In Exodus 12, 46, and Numbers 9, 12, and Psalm 34, 6, all of these places and more spoke to Jesus dying on the cross, but not one of His bones being broken. And in John 19, 36, you read that even through crucifixion, and even when they went to do the typical thing of getting that person off the cross and making sure that a person was dead, instead of breaking legs, instead of doing their typical thing, they stuck a spear in His side and no bone was broken. In Micah chapter 4, verse 8, it speaks of shepherds and a watchtower. And you could read over it and not even think twice about it. But if you go and study and understand the context, that watchtower was of the shepherds who would keep the perfect lambs for temple sacrifice and be the very shepherds who would hear the good news of great joy. These, these perfect lambs would be the very ones wrapped in cloth to keep them from flailing all around. And what happened? There was a perfect lamb born wrapped in swaddling clothes or strips of cloth and laid in a manger. Over and over and over and over again, God played His hand. He showed humanity that there was life, that there was an answer for the sin problem, that there was an answer for death, that He would send His Son Jesus to redeem, to reconcile, to restore right relationship between Himself and humanity. So you can't talk about the journey to Christmas without talking about life. Because the journey to Christmas was the journey of bringing life to all humanity. We celebrate the true Christmas narrative not because it's a feel-good story. We celebrate the, the Christmas narrative not because it would make a good movie. We celebrate the true Christmas narrative because God gave the gift of His Son and His Son became the gift to us that gave us the gift of life. Jesus was born into the physical world and into physical life so that ultimately you and I would have spiritual life that would continue in life eternally. Life. I think sometimes in the Christmas narrative, and I said this last week to kick off our time in this season, I think sometimes in the Christmas narrative... Uh, we become so familiar that we gloss over how important it really is. That we can read and maybe even recite a lot of the story. We know that Jesus was born in a manger. We know the story of Mary and Joseph. We know the story of the shepherds. We know the stories of, of those journeying as what we commonly call wise men to visit. We, we know all of these different parts of the story. But let us never be a people who forget that ultimately the story, the narrative of Christmas is about the narrative of God bringing life for us. Life. And maybe today you're saying, how does this apply to me? How can I, how can I take this as God talking to my life today? Well, first of all, I am convinced fully and completely that God has a plan for you. 
Psalm 139 talks about how a child can be formed in a mother's womb and God can know, does know all of the days of that life even before one day came to be. Jeremiah chapter 1, God spoke about knowing the days and calling him to be that prophet even before he came to be. God knows us and has a plan for us. And I've got to tell you today, I don't know what you think of when you think of a plan of God. I don't know what you think of when you think of a plan for living in this world today. But God's plan for you is life. Life. His plan for you is life. His plan for you is relationship. God God wants to speak. God wants to lead. God wants to work on your behalf. Uh, the, The scriptures are clear as day that God didn't just create this world and then leave it to function on its own without any connection. Instead, he invites us to relationship with him. Can't help but think of the the scripture that comes out from the words of Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, I'll come in and we'll eat together. We'll sit down together. It's a beautiful picture that Jesus wants to lead every life. That Jesus wants to bring life into every heart. That God's got amazing things in store for every member of humanity. All you got to do is open the door. And he'll sit with you. He has a plan for you and his plan is life. His plan is relationship. His plan is redemption. That you're not just living the the life the way the world dictates. And you're not living the life just the way you think is right. But redemption is he's buying you back if you will. He's bringing you back to himself. And instead wanting to lead you in a way that lives the life he intended. In his image with his power. He wants to reconcile. He wants to restore. That life that He has planned for you is twofold. It's life now and it's life eternally. Life now. I go back to what I said earlier, John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen to me. This world will try to offer you a lot of things, but what it offers you is empty and void if you don't know Jesus. It doesn't matter what career you have. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter, ultimately, even your spouse, your kids. Uh, you know, I, I think about this, this image that's been created in our world today of the perfect life, right? You make this amount of money. You've got three-bedroom, two-bath home. You've got two and a half kids. I don't even know how that works. You've got all these things going for you. You're making the climb up the corporate ladder. You've got all this success. You can have all of it and have what the world calls life and really not know life at all. Because Jesus is life. And he came to bring us life. Not death. Not to be dead. If you don't know Jesus and you're not walking in relationship with Jesus now, you are a walking dead person. Dead in your transgressions and sins, and without the guarantee of eternal life. But Christ came to give life. And he said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life to the full. What is life to the full? What is life in Christ like? Well, first of all, it's a radical transformation from who we are in our own sinful self. 
No longer do we just want to do what we want to do. No longer are we craving the things of the world. But in new life in Jesus is about walking with Him and knowing His plan and Him leading our lives and Him, Him doing things on our behalf. It's about walking in joy even when the world is in chaos. It's about having peace in our hearts knowing that we're right with God and having peace in our hearts when everything in the world isn't going right. It's about knowing a love that we can never find from a person on the face of this planet. It's about knowing a supernatural power that we can never muster on our own and it's about being comforted and knowing I never am alone in this journey he's with me he's in me he goes before me he surrounds me the scripture speaks to a full life in Jesus and then scripture also speaks to Eternal life. Got to tell you, eternity can come a lot quicker than you think. This is not a fear tactic. This is, this is from experience. That I've participated in officiating services for people of all ages. No one is exempt. Things can change in a matter of moments. We only live this one life. One. And it's so important that we know Jesus and walk with Him and let Him fill us with life. Because when it's all said and done, none of the other is going to matter. All that's going to matter is that we made a decision to follow Jesus. That we have life in Christ. Life now, eternal life forever. <clears throat> and I would suggest to you today, life truly begins when you believe in Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus stepped into humanity. Born as a baby. He lived. He ministered. He was ultimately crucified, giving his life for you. He died so you could live, and he rose again. Crucifixion struck the heel. Crucifixion and resurrection crushed the enemy's head. When you believe in Jesus and admit you're a sinner and confess him as Savior and Lord of your life, <clears throat> you start a new relationship with God. A new trajectory, both now and forevermore. God wants to fill you with life. God wants to lead you in a new life. God wants to give you eternal life. That's what this is really all about. I'm going to ask if you're in the room today, would you stand with me? And if you're online today, that you would make it a point to respond with us. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. and That has nothing to do with, with just a religious exercise. I just want you to really take time today to let this truth of God's Word speak into your life. How should you re be responding today? Maybe for you, it's a decision to follow Jesus. 
Maybe for you today, you need life. You need the life that only Jesus can, can give you. Maybe today you're recognizing you're not walking in relationship with God. You, you can't say for certain your eternity is guaranteed. You can't say that you know what's next. It's in this moment that I pray you would respond to that nudge of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> that, that pull in your heart that says there's more. And it starts with believing in Jesus. It starts with recognizing the truth of what God has said and what God has done. You can experience new life today. No matter what your life has been, no matter what you think you've done, no matter whether you feel you're deserving or undeserving, whatever the case, what it comes down to is the same for all of us. We admit we're sinners. We admit there's an issue in our heart that rebels and wants to do things our own way. We believe in Jesus as the only answer for sin, and we confess Him as Savior and Lord of our lives, and we start a new life. It's the same for everyone. So today I want to challenge you that perhaps your first response should be to follow Jesus. He's the king. Have you invited him to be the king of your life? To lead you. Secondly today, our response should be hearts that are filled with thankfulness. It matters nothing. It doesn't matter at all what, what gifts you get this year under that Christmas tree. I'm not against gifts. I, I enjoy giving gifts. And there are times I certainly have enjoyed receiving gifts. And all of that's great. Nothing wrong with that at all. But the greatest gift we could ever receive and the greatest gift we ever really needed was life. Jesus. He's the only answer for our greatest need he is life so today we should be a thankful people if we have if we have made the decision to follow Jesus and we're experiencing that life in Christ and we're experiencing the promise of eternal life the hope of eternal life in our lives we've got a reason to be thankful we've got a reason to worship the Lord today I'm going to invite some people today that we simply call prayer partners and they're going to be available to pray with you today I'm going to ask if you'll come and make your way to either side of the room and today there are people who will pray with you if if you're making a decision that says I know I need this life I know I I need the truth of what Jesus has done if you're making a decision to follow Jesus there are people who will pray with you there are people who will encourage you they'll help you get you get started on the right foot if you will if you have other needs that are burdensome and heavy to you today, they'll pray with you. They'll encourage you. These can be powerful moments where the Lord can lift you up and grant you peace and joy in the midst of whatever's going on. What I can't do enough today, I, I can't tell you enough how wonderful it is to walk in life in Christ, to know Jesus. 
That's when you have true life. I challenge you today to make the decision to follow him and welcome him into your heart and life and to follow him in every way. I'm going to pray for you. And then I want to challenge you that this altar area, these individuals, there, there are plenty of opportunities today for you to pray and respond. Holy Spirit, I ask you today that if there be anyone in this room, on our online campus, maybe even people that, that somehow come across this later, if there's anyone who does not know you, Lord, and, and by know you, I mean that does not have a relationship with you, that has not dealt with the sin issue of the human heart that has not accepted and received Jesus if there's anyone who hasn't admitted their sinner and believed and confessed you as Savior and Lord Lord you have come to bring life life I pray today Holy Spirit you would work in the hearts and lives of people and that each and every one would know you and walk in that life that only you provide. We take a moment today to say thank you. I know that in this room and online there are many people who are gathered, Lord, that they, they know you. They're walking with you, Lord. They experience that life and life to the full. And they're experiencing you providing for them and leading them and caring for them. They're experiencing you as shepherd and Lord and Savior. God, we as that people say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you care so much. Lord, I, sometimes I, I just want to be able to, to show people how wonderful it is to know you. Because, Lord, I know what you are in my life. I know what it's like to hear your voice. I know what it's like, Lord, to, to, to read your word and to hear you speaking. I know what it's like to read of your faithfulness. I know what it's like to live in life in Christ. And Lord, I'm only in that place because of your grace and mercy in my life. But God, I want everyone to experience that, Lord. To know the beauty of walking with you. Of knowing you and of hearing you and of, Lord, seeing your hands at work in their lives. So I just pray today, oh God, I thank you for myself and I ask you, Lord, to continue to save many, Lord. May there be some who would open the door today and welcome you in. Father, I pray that you bless and keep this people. And you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance, your favor ever be turned their direction and grant them your peace. May each of us respond today with grateful hearts and with a decision every day of our lives to follow you in every way. In Jesus' name.